we have now reached the final episode of the Leafs Line podcast. It is due to be an emotional one. I am with Michael Iboni, myself, Mary Russo. Episode 29 of the Leafs Line podcast and the final episode of season one is upon us. And boy, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of whirlwind of emotions here. I mean, uh, moving on to season two is going to be fun, interesting. We got a lot of things to look forward to in the upcoming season, uh, one of which we're going to be discussing today in the NHL, sending their players to the Olympics. That is a big topic of discussion across the league, and it's great to see on both parties. But we'll be getting to that in just a bit, but I want to touch upon the final episode here of the Lease Line podcast. Uh, as you all know, me, myself, uh, myself, Aiden McCullough, Josh Levesque, and of course, yours truly, Michael Iboni here. Uh, we're all moving, we're not moving away, I'd say, but getting ready to hit the road for university. It's going to be a really busy time of our lives. So finding time to do these podcasts, especially for them, they're not really in the sports media's program or really going to have time to incorporate both this podcast and whatever process comes with it within their own workload. So I'm sure, Iboni, you can speak for yourself here, but I know I can speak upon Aiden and Josh, who just moved to Brock today, which is pretty interesting. So he won't be able to do it also because he doesn't even have his mic up there down in St. Catharines. But it, yeah, it's a, it's a whole sort of uh, huge swirling of events within why we won't be doing a season two together. Uh, it's just not really possible. Myself, I will be continuing it, hopefully, with a new group of, uh, I guess, people here, individuals who are going to be looking forward to uh, dissecting the sport of the NHL, hockey, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and just getting into each and every game, each and every headlining story across the National Hockey League over the next season. Uh, I'll, I'll release that news as it comes to fruition, but for now, last episode, episode 29, and man, Ibone, would you agree it's been a, it's been a heck of a ride from episode one all the way down to here and would you not say it's been great uh all the new additions starting with just me you Aiden and then kind of incorporating Josh having that little Hobbs perspective which is great having that controversy a couple episodes with me and Josh is kind of bantering uh loads of fun uh definitely gonna miss it maybe we can do an episode sometime in the future I don't know we'll see how everything plays out but 100%. uh yeah we'll, we'll we'll see but uh it's definitely been a fun ride and I've enjoyed every minute of it, and I think that uh, we've made some significant listeners happy, and we've definitely made ourselves happy too. Because it's a lot of fun, and, and it really it doesn't take much time out of our day, but it it brings a lot of enjoyment to our lives. Yeah, and I think I, I think you would also agree with me on this part as well. It just allows us to speak our thoughts that we sort of bottle yeah. inside us. Not only as Leaf fans, where we only jump onto Twitter. I don't know how much you jump onto Twitter and complain. I don't really ever see you tweet too much. I don't you tweet, but I definitely, I definitely read them. I do have Twitter, but I yeah. definitely read them. I don't tweet as much because yeah. uh, I'd probably get banned quite fast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the life of uh, a citizen in the Toronto area watching the Maple Leafs. It's always sort of banning on Twitter. But yeah, it's better than expressing your, uh, your thoughts and whatever you're believing with both the Toronto Maple Leafs and just regular news across the National Hockey League. Better than expressing it with your voice. I think you would agree with me on this as well. Then oh, just yeah. on a keyboard typing away into empty space, which is something I quite often do in my notes against both the Maple Leafs and anything else that's bugging me. But yeah, it's uh, we're definitely going to get the group together again within the next season as well when we find some spare time. I know we got a bunch of breaks in university, uh, reading weeks, uh, winter breaks. We'll definitely get a show in with all of us, the old group back together, especially me, you, and Aiden. We sort of started the show from nothing, and I just want to put this one... You mentioned it a little briefly, uh, the fans. I really appreciate your guys' support. 
Iboni, I'm sure you uh, can tag along with me on this as well. For I'm sure. sure Aiden and Josh would be in the same boat as well if they were here on the show right now. But uh, you guys mean everything to us, especially to me as the host. Uh, the show wouldn't be possible. I know I mentioned it a lot, both including the shows and in the intros as well. But this, this show would not be possible without you guys. So I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I started this from nothing. It was an idea that I really just wanted to get my reps in and practice for what I want to get into, which obviously is radio and television within the sports world. I'm going to university for it uh, in a couple of days, and we'll be learning all about it uh, in the upcoming weeks or so. But uh, you really made this little dream come to fruition, and it's been a great ride. So I thank you guys as the fans. Uh, more importantly, Iboni, I thank you as well. It's been a heck of a ride. Uh, it's, it's been so great going back and forth with just myself and you. I know we've been doing it a lot more frequently than we used to in the last couple of weeks or so with the rest of the group sort of being a little bit busy and caught with work and all that stuff. But it's been a great time and I'm, it's going to be a tough one to go through this episode. It's going to be a battle, but I'm sure we'll both get through it together. And uh, yeah, I guess there's no other way to get into this one, episode 29. And so we begin with the New York Islanders. They have had a, I would say, terrific, solid offseason. And Lou Lamorello just uh, putting it a fork in the ground with the way he's been uh, establishing his offseason moves. You know, Lula Morello and his staff inked four of their assets uh, this past week to multi-year deals, including Sorokin, Bovillier, Sezikis, and of course, their uh, newly, I guess you could say, acquired fresh face in Cal Palmieri. Sorokin's deal shaped out to be four years at $4 million AAV, and the Islanders' future netminder, which I think we can all agree he is in that spot as well. Uh, Vilarmov is the other goaltender. He's got a bit of miles on him, but still finds ways to produce. And Sorokin is the young gun who is looking to be the uh, sort of tenure and going to carry that workload in the upcoming years. And he's got four years to do with the Islanders as of right now. Uh, he put up a 13-6-3 record last season while splitting time with the veteran Semyon Valarmov, a great mentor to have um, for a young rookie goaltender. And another signing here, we'll be getting into all the signings just in a bit, but I'm going to mention them off the top. Avelier took a year less than Sorokin, uh, his younger counterpart, signing for three years at 4.15. So a similar AAV there. Uh, Sezikis put pen to paper as well in a massive six-year extension. Now, this one could get a little bit questionable. We might have a bit of a discussion going back and forth with this one. Uh, with a 2.5 AAV, so you're not paying him and breaking your bank on it, but I think it's the term that might catch our interest. Would you not agree, Michael Iaboni? I think that the term is definitely an issue here. Uh, he's... He's going to be quite old by the time that his contract is finished, and I don't know uh, exactly how much efficiency and how much like how efficient he will be once his contract is done, uh, as he is going to be what I believe is thirty-seven. Yeah. Yeah. No, he'll be. Uh, I believe thirty-seven. Yeah, it would be thirty-seven. Yeah, thirty-seven. It kicks in next year. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. The, so the, I, I yeah, believe. So it'll be 37. Yeah. So as much as he was effective last year, with, I'm going to put a question mark on that. Uh, I, for a depth player who's probably going to play third, maybe fourth line minutes here, they get two and a half million bucks for the next couple years, and he's going to be 37 by the time his deal is done. It just doesn't really seem um, like a very appropriate deal for a player of that age, a player of that caliber. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not seeing Lou's thought process behind this deal. Uh, I do appreciate some of his other deals, but I think the uh, case of Suzuka is I think that he could have been definitely less AAV and definitely chopped off like three three years of this contract in order to make it a little bit more realistic to their long-term goals. 
Yeah, and if you're a fan of the show and you've listened for quite a while here, you would know that uh, both myself and the gang as well really do preach Lula Morello, both during his tenure in the Toronto area with this club and what he's made it of, as well as his New Jersey days, if you want to rewind the tape that far back. And even what he's been doing at the Islanders has been remarkable. Uh, the, the playoff appearances is just crazy, and he's always up for one of the GM of the Year awards each and every year. But uh, this move, I would have to agree with you as well, Iboni. It is a little bit questionable with the term. Uh, I, I know that Sezikis, over his 10-year career with the Islanders, he really did develop into, I wouldn't say superstar level, but he was a big star and a big help on that team for his uh, career with the New York Islanders. Uh, he was really good when he was younger down there. A lot of good years, a lot of high points, and he sort of shifted his role a bit during the tail end of his career with the Islanders, and you can see him being more, like you mentioned, Iboni, uh, reaching more of a depth role, and that's where the money, uh, the the cents, the dollars and cents comes into play here. You're paying $2.5 million for the next six years, and mind you, he will be 37. It's important to note that for a depth for a depth piece, right? Now, the Islanders, uh, they're a very solid team. Uh, they're always in contention to go far. A great playoff team, mind you, as well. So they got the ability to get that far, and they got the guys to do it. Zekas is usually plays a big part of that, both in the postseason and the regular season. But the miles is something to worry about with this deal. And I'm sure we'll break it down a little bit after. But I'm going to get into the final deal uh, of this uh, this four spot as well. So the Islanders also held on to Cal Palmieri for four years. I guess Lou Lamarello was handing out four more years contracts like uh, like candy. But 30-year-old was making uh, five $5 million a year with this new deal. And after a tough stretch of a season with the Islanders, uh, he only notched seven markers and a pair of helpers uh, in 17 contests. Uh, sorry, putting up just four points, my bad, in uh, 17 contests. But he did flip the script in the postseason. This is where I'm getting my numbers a bit mixed up. He notched seven markers and a pair of helpers in 19 games during that playoff run. So I'm going to ask you this question, Iboni. With these core players now locked up for the next four years or so, uh, what do you grade Lou Lamorello for these moves? What are your thoughts on these new contracts? What do you make of uh, the New York Islanders, not only team coming up in this upcoming season, but these new deals in place and the future? Uh, I'm going to give a B, maybe a B plus. You, you can convince me that it could be a B plus. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't really enjoy that Casey Sezikis contract uh, or even an Anthony Bavillier contract, to be honest with you. If he's going to be playing second majority third line minutes is what I think that it's going to be uh, paying a guy $4.15 million for the next three years. Uh, a little bit uh, pricey. Uh, if, you, if you're playing a top six consistently day in day out, which I do not think that they're going to do because they have so much offensive pieces uh, such as Anders Lee, Matt Barzell, Brock Nelson, Palmieri, Pajot, Bailey, uh, along with a couple other names uh, and a couple of upcoming rookies. Uh, such as Walsh, who could also get an opportunity up there in the top six in the coming years. Uh, so we're just going to kind of see how that plays out. He's going to kind of bounce around between um, top six and bottom six. He's kind of a middle six guy for them, and paying him for uh, $4.2 million is just a little bit pricey for asking me. I do love the term. It's a bridge deal. He's going to be 27 when it's done, and then you can renegotiate depending on how well he's playing. So I do like the term on it. Uh, not huge on the money aspect of that. Uh, and coinciding with Casey Sezikas as well, it's not just the money for me. It's also the term on that one. Uh, however, I will praise him severely for that Sorokin and Palmieri deal. Uh, you probably could have taken a little bit less money for uh, getting Palmieri, maybe like half a million dollars less here. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's a pretty short-term deal. He's going to be 34 when it's done. He'll still be effective. Uh, he's got speed. He's going to be a top-line player for his team day in, day out. 
Uh, not much injury problems, too, for what I was looking at. He's not a huge uh, injury-prone player, except um, he, he hasn't gotten 82-game seasons, but he will miss um, generally a couple of games in the season, which shouldn't be too big of a problem because the um, Islanders' depth is pretty pretty nice. Um, the earliest rookie contract, yes, I absolutely love it. It is a three-year deal at four, four million bucks. He's going to be 29 when it's done, actually. He's a lot older than you'd think that he was. But seeing his progress that he's made in the past year and seeing how much that he will potentially be in the next few years, uh, it's definitely a gamble. I think it's going to be a gamble that's going to be well worth that money. Right, and uh, you could argue, I mean, dollars and cents all you want with this Islanders team, but the moral of the story is they're not like the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you want to put it that way. They're not in a cap crunch. They got money to spend. They got money to give, and I think these contracts, I, uh, I think they sort of uh, show that. You could have gotten away with maybe a, a little bit million less, uh, slice off a bit of uh, a couple thousand dollars here and there, and you might find yourself in a little bit of a better position, not only with your grade that you gave them, but uh, with, in respect to Lou Lamarola, but just in general. But, uh, I mean, Cal Palmieri, I think he was a great addition. He was one of the – if I were to give my grade, first of all, I would give uh, Lou Lamoureux a B plus. I, I stay around the same uh, – similar concept of you simply because I'm not a big fan of that Sezikis deal because that term really uh, – I think it's going to bite them in the butt a little bit. I don't think Sezikis is going to put up that efficiency. And I know you touched upon this as well, but – I don't know, like that Sezikis one, it sort of diminishes the rest, I guess you could say. Uh, Sorokin, I love that deal. I mean, $4 million for four years. Uh, I think he's a terrific goaltender. I think we, he put it on display last season. He made terrific stops. Uh, he was ranked, I believe, top 10 in the NHL. In uh, I believe the stat is saves above expected. Yes. Or yeah. Something like that. So he yeah, was yeah, really yeah, atop that category. Which is uh, something, it's, I know it's a depth stat. I'm not a big stat guy, not a very big analytics guy either, but I think that stat speaks, speaks volumes for goaltenders, and Sorokin is just another victim of that as well. So he's been really good on that department, and he's a guy who can really lead your team uh, throughout the playoffs. That's a big part that I think we sort of haven't looked at too much. In the playoffs, I, I think he was pretty terrific, no? He put up a decent record. He, uh, he led, I, I wouldn't say led the team, but he played in some tough battles and was relied on by Lou Lamarillo, turned to... Uh, his side of the tracks within the, I know they split time, both Sorokin and Valarma, but he really stood his ground. And I think that was the thing that put his deal above and beyond. It really made his money, uh, I guess you could say, from his camp. So Sorokin's deal, I, I don't mind at all. I think it's terrific. But Villiers, yeah, you could, I, I think it's all right. You, like you mentioned, Ibone, you could scratch off a bit here and there. Sezikis, I think, has the potential to turn out to a train wreck. And Paul Marin, I'm just going to put it over there, Iboni. Uh, I don't know if you remember the trade that the Devils and the Islanders made with uh, Paul Marin. I believe Zajac was thrown into that one as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think you could even add this one if you want to boost the Lou Lamorello grade as a win for uh, Mr. Lou here. Would you not agree? I mean, you're, you're, you made a trade with uh, the Devils for Paul Marin, and now you're keeping him for four more years. And he did have a pretty solid playoff performance as well uh, do you do you think Paul Mary is going to be able to keep it up in the next four years what do you make of him I just want to put your focus on his contract for just a second yeah I think that he's only made 34 when he's done he's been making consistent numbers uh, throughout the year so I think that uh, he, he definitely can keep up that consistency he's playing on the top line with some uh, pretty youthful players with Matt Barzell and he's probably going to get um, uh, I'm going to say probably Anders Lee up there he's not all that youthful but uh, he's definitely got a lot left in the tank 
And I think that um, those two can work together really well. Uh, Matt Barzell getting scoring chances for Kyle Palmieri all day, all night. Uh, Kyle Palmieri doing the exact same. Uh, he definitely can get, generate some scoring chances as he had. Um, he only had seven assists last year, but uh, it was a little bit of a down year in um, New Jersey. And he was definitely looking to bounce back a little bit this year. He kind of put a little bit more offensive prowess into his game this year and just kind of get back to his former numbers, getting up in that 40-point area, 50-point area, kind of um, lead a team towards something greater than they could have ever imagined. And I think that he definitely has the potential to do that, and I think that he actually will do that. Uh, it's only a four-year deal, so it's not huge uh, risk. I don't think there's any potential at buyout. I think he's going to live up to that $5 million contract. Uh, anytime you're playing, uh, you're paying a top-line player even a second-line player, for being honest, $5 million bucks, and he can produce, I think that it's a pretty efficient deal, and it's definitely something that will benefit your team. And above everything else, and speaking of the team, it's just Lou Lamorello. I think, I mean, you have to you have to kind of feel for Lou here. He keeps going to the well. He keeps trying to make acquisitions and additions that is going to uh, be very advantageous to his team. And usually, in most cases, it does. I, I can't really remember a season where he comes to the Islanders and sort of makes a move that holds them back from anything. I think the only thing you could argue is them getting held back from a Stanley Cup. But you got to you got to feel for this guy. He keeps trying to go to the well keeps trying to go to the drawing board and sorting things out. And I think he believes in these four players that we just mentioned, in Sorokin, Babilia, Sezikas, and Paul Mary. And what speaks volumes is these guys' ability to play the defensive game. That's the Islanders' sort of uh, bread and butter. That's how they beat you both in the postseason and, of course, during the regular season. They will wear you down. We always talk about this when it comes to the Islanders. You've been listening to the show throughout the fruition of that season, one of the Leafs Line podcasts. But we always sort of put this one in that they're, they're going to beat you uh, both physically – uh, you could even throw in the mental battle as well. The Barry Trotz is a terrific coach, and he's been just been so, I guess you could say, I wouldn't say dangerous, but effective during his time in Long Island. So I think I, uh, Lou Lamorello threw the management up and down, put a lot of belief in these four players, uh, and I think they're going to stick with it. And Paul Mary, that's one of the only question marks I want to say with the defensive game. I'm hoping it can develop a little bit more. I know we had some key... Uh, key breaks last season in this defensive game i need to see some stability from that and uh, if i see some stability from that those four years are going to be great because he's going to be contributing to the team's success and what they want to play like their style of play and all the while he's going to put he's going to be putting in goals left right and center on that top six role so i think it's a couple great contracts from lou lamrell and again when is it never not a couple great contracts from lou lamrell and now we're going to go to another contract here uh, on the defensive end so this segue plays quite nicely here but Colton Pareko here, $6.5 million for eight more years, kicking, kicking in at the end of next season and running through 2029, 20, uh, uh, I guess 2030. A uh, 28-year-old defender registered two goals and 10 assists through 32 games last season while leading the team in ice time during those contests. Now, Pareko has spent his last six seasons with the Blues, so he's a longtime vet on that team. He knows what the team's about. And he knows how he's got to play under these coaching staffs. And he also included a famous 2019 campaign, which ended in him hoisting the Stanley Cup. Now, Pareko will be 37 when this deal hits its expiration date. Iboni, did the Blues get uh, go too long handing out this maximum? And does the money match the Canadian production coming from uh, Colton Pareko? Uh, I think that the deal definitely too long. I think that there's no debate on that. A guy who's injury prone and he's proved that he's injury prone and he gets injured 
Uh, for the last two seasons, he's been injured quite hefty. Uh, amounts of time he's been injured. Uh, and, I mean, his production isn't anything worth, um, like, $6.5 million, especially not for that turn. Especially a guy going to be 37 at the end of that turn. I don't see him getting any better as he gets towards 33, 35, 37. Uh, and if this is the best Colton Perrieco that there is, I think the Blues should be very, very worried about this contract. And I think there's going to be a potential buyout in the next three, maybe even four or five years. Uh, it's just something that will be an anchor for the Blues. And um, it's just something that I don't think that you can work with. You, you cannot work with this player. And, I mean, he is a veteran guy. He's the assistant captain of this team. And I don't think anyone really knows that because this guy's kind of lost in space. Um, but he's an assistant captain. He's definitely got that leadership quality. And as you said, he kind of led them to that Stanley Cup uh, back in 2019. Um, yeah, 2019. Yep. <laughs> and um, I don't know if that's enough to just dish out $6.5 million for a max deal. Um, I mean, obviously, you want to keep this guy on your team. You might want him to retire as a blue, but giving him that much money is just kind of uh, a little worrying and a little bit disheartening for the Blues fans as they now know that they're probably not going to be able to get to 10 for a while uh, as they have a couple cap-strapped people that aren't producing to their cap already on this roster. Um, and injury-prone, like I just talked about. They've got a couple other players that have been injury-prone throughout the season, Vladimir Tarasenko being one of them and what the heck's going to happen with him and his big deal. So it's just a matter of – you. It, it, it's very tough for the team to be successful when they're injured all the time. I mean, you're paying your big bucks to get injured players. It's just it's not something that you really want to see as a fan base or management staff or really anyone. So I, I'm not a huge fan of this deal. I think that he definitely has potential to bring some upside in the next two, three years if he actually stays healthy. Uh, as he is key on the power play, but not so much on the penalty kill. Um, I think that he can definitely bring an offensive prowess. Uh, like I said, he's just got to stay healthy, and he's got to still remain that leadership figure if he's going to even be close to living up to his contract. Yeah, the window here with Pareko and the Blues camp, it's it's slim with a lot of question marks. I mean, he has, obviously, as we know, he has the history of injuries uh that's a that's a big that's gonna play a big role and i'm not sure why it didn't play that big of a role in both the money he's making and the term that they signed him for i mean uh, if you're the blue if you're a blues fan and you're just part of that management or whatever you gotta kind of be sh scratching your head a little bit and saying well why is he making this much money he barely is ever on the ice and when he is it's not like he's putting up points left right and center like a kale mccarr or something like that or someone of the other another top defenseman in this national hockey league He's just another guy. I wouldn't say he's just another guy as an insult, but when he's there, he's not a superstar. And I know he's going to probably be playing maybe. I know we're going to get into this in the Olympic talk. He may very well be playing minutes down with Team Canada. He has played with them before. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't feel this deal is right with the Blues and the direction their team is going towards. Uh, they had a tough season la uh, last year. Uh, I think they, didn't they get swept by the uh, Colorado Avalanche in the playoffs? Yes, they did. Yeah. They so did. The, it's not like you're getting playoff success from these guys. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of this Pareko one. And I just want to switch this one over to the Blues a little bit because obviously this deal still remains a part of their offseason project. I want to ask you, what do you think of the offseason from the Blues? And I, I'm not sure if you forgot. I'm just going to remind you because I got it right up with me. 
uh, who they brought in. So obviously Pareko, Zach Sanford resigned for one more year. Jordan Kyrie resigned for two years. Uh, even Barbashev resigned for two years. Callie Rosen, who I believe he was a former Leaf, uh, he did sign yeah. as a free agent yeah. a one-year two-way, so he's probably going to be splitting time, most of all, with the AHL. I can't see him getting much uh, starting time. And is Charlie Lindgren, was he a former Leaf? Or am I no, no, else? no. He was Lillig- famous. I'm thinking uh, of Lilligren. He's a former goaltender for the uh, yeah. Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, yeah, you he's, the, he's the one that catches right. That's the, oh, way, that's the way I remember. The guy that always throws me off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, just to conclude this one here, Mike Hoffman was uh, one of their key departures from the team. He made his way to Montreal. Pavel Buzhnevich, we really praised that deal a little bit from the uh, Blues perspective, getting Pavel Buzhnevich for uh, just very little. And uh, one of my favorite signings for them as well, before I turn it over to you, signing a free agent, Brandon Sad, to a five-year deal. Uh, I think Brandon Sad is a terrific player. He's going to do really nicely during his time with the Blues. But enough of me talking. What do you think of the Blues offseason in general? Like, what would you grade it? Uh, is there anything they could have done better? And I think you could maybe throw in this Pareko uh, contract as evidence to maybe something that they could have improved on. But maybe throw this one out of the window. But what do you think of this, uh, this offseason for the Blues? I, I see it as kind of a downfall. I don't think that it's that spectacular. I think that some things that needed to get done, you needed to address Vladimir Tarasenko. You really did. If you're that keen on getting rid of him because of his injury problems, then get rid of him. Go ahead and get rid of him because you don't need more injured players on your team. Now, in saying that, how do you win a Vladimir Tarasenko trade? Well, that's up to the management staff. I can't really do much about that. If they're that keen on dishing them out the door, then you got to make sure they get some assets that can help you now because I don't think they are wanting to go into a rebuild anytime soon. Um, I do like the Pavel Buznevich trade very, very much. I think that Pavel Buznevich is a very underrated player. He can play second-line minutes, top-line minutes. We'll see. He's definitely a power play guy. Definitely a guy who can get you a lot of goals, as evident of last season. He was amazing. Um, he helps advantage on getting five goals multiple times in games. And uh, I know that as fans, we loved watching that. We loved watching um, Zibanejad net all those goals. And a lot of them were dishes from Pavel Buznevich, which is um, really good because he's a very good passer. He's a very good mover around the ice. And Brandon Saad, I think that signing was um, very crucial as well. Guy has won a Stanley Cup before. Coming onto the roster, he's probably going to be uh, a mid-six guy, um, kind of a replacement um, for a Hoffman guy, although he does play a really, really two, good two-way game. Uh, I think that he has potential to be a penalty killer for them uh, in the short term. I don't know about the long term on that because they do have some other guys that can make a potential step like Robert Thomas, who played on the power uh, penalty kill a little bit last season. Uh, but I'm just going to address Jordan Kyrie as well. I think that was a really, really good signing. I, I, did I read something? Oscar Sunkvist? Did he sign in the SHL or was that someone else? Uh, I think you're, I, I think you're on it. I think you're right. Yeah, on. and I don't know how because he's already signed with the Blues. I'm confused on that, but I thought I saw something. And let me. I, I'm gonna try to find it. I I read something too similar. Yeah. It was Joe Thornton signed in. I believe it was. I want to say the SHL. Could be some other league overseas. Signed with them. No. And then, Ah, signed, signed with got the it. Florida Panthers. Got it. Not something. Sorensen. That's oh, on me. Okay. Yes. Very, very similar names. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. I think that, yeah. Just a little closing. I think that 
uh, their defense, Callie Rosen, I think that he can see some NHL playing time, especially with their defense injuries, like I mentioned, Colton Perrieco, um, among other people just not producing, which I think is definitely a possibility. Uh, you got Justin Falk, Terry Crew, Perrieco, Scandella, Bortuzzo, if they're all healthy, they're all easy in. And then you got Mikola, Santini, Walmart, and you've obviously got Callie Rosen. They can all be cycled through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, one of the outlining stories with this offseason from the St. Louis Blues is that they sort of avoided going into a rebuild. They're reaching, I think you would agree with me, on these mediocre stages of yeah. a franchise. They're not going to be making the playoffs, or maybe they will be making the playoffs. You never know in the, their division and what's going to happen there. But uh, they could either make a playoff, but they're never going to go very far. I think they're going to fall in the same boat as the Minnesota Wild, who we always – Man, the Minnesota Wilds have had a tough time on the Leafs line podcast because we've really seen <laughs> a lot. Uh, they're always a mediocre team, and I think it's fair to say because you look at their past five seasons or so, it's always the same result. First, make the playoffs, make a decent push, go on a hot streak, and with very little talent most of the time, mind you. Like They, they manage their players well. I can also compare them to the Oakland Athletics of hockey. They got very low-talented guys and sort of find ways to get through. So. They're always going into the first round, getting out. Second round, getting out. Never going completely far. And I think the Blues, over the next couple of years, are going to find them in the same boat. And this Pareko signing, just going to touch on it for the last time here. I, I don't think it was it. I think the term was a little bit too much. He will be, uh, what was the number I had? 37 when this deal hits its expiry date. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's the best offensive threat either. I mean, it's. Uh, I think it, it shows that the Blues would take a bit of a step back in this offseason. But other than that, I mean, Hoffman, you lose, but... He made some decent strides, and that Bujnevich one speaks volumes. And I know you mentioned him scoring a bunch of goals with uh, uh, Zvanajad, him always potting it in the net. And a lot of those goals, which we were really sort of witness to, those five-goal games, some of them did come against our next segment here, the Florida. Florida. (laughs) Nice segue. I like that. This nice segue. The (laughs) Philadelphia Flyers, a team last season that struggled so much to keep the puck out of the back of the net. A lot of dark situations that they found themselves in, but the biggest light, the brightest spot in their roster, Joel Faraby, man, this guy was terrific last season, a breakout season for him and Iboni. I got to stop here and admire that segue, man. That was, I had to save it till the last episode to get this one in. This one was a completely smooth switch, man. Man, I didn't think I had it in me, but here we are. That's what 29 weeks can do for you, Iboni. That's in the highlight reel. That's in the highlight reel. It's a short one, but it's got some timeline on it. So uh, great to see this one coming out. But again, Farabee, a great player for the Flyers last season. He is locked up for another six years. His deal coming at an AAV of $5 million. Now, Farabee is on his last year of his entry-level contract. So I guess the uh, Flyers nipped him in the bud as much as they could as early as possible. But could this cause a bit of problems? I'll be asking Iboni this question just a little bit. But I'm going to dissect the deal real quick and who Joel Farabee Therapy really is. So 21-year-old was a possible, possibly the only bright spot in an ugly flyer season last season. Uh, the sophomore putting up 20 goals, a team best. Now, that is a pretty low team best if you ask me, but coming from a 21-year-old for Farabee, that's terrific numbers that you're putting up at his age. And after putting up just eight goals in 52 games as a rookie, uh, he saw massive strides uh, in this last season and an elevation in production, as you can see, both on the point side of things and the way he's been playing alongside his, uh, his teammates, uh, slashing 38 points through 55 games last season. Uh, Farabee was rewarded the most improved player. Uh, this was sort of organization-wise, the Flyers award for uh, the most improved player. I'm not sure. I don't got the name right in front of me, but uh, I'm, every organization across the National Hockey League uh, gives their own award to their players. 
Therabee was probably head and shoulders over the competition in respect to the roster for the winners of this reward. And it seems as though last year's production was just enough to hand the youngster some money. So he's got to make some cash right now. He made it with this contract. Was this deal made too soon, Iaboni? Or are the Flyers just getting a discount with this new deal and saying, yeah, he was really good last season. Let's sign him for a little bit cheap because this guy has what it takes to evolve into a superstar. What do you think of this deal? Too early or just right timing for the Flyers and their management? I think that this deal, uh, I think that it can be seen as just right. Uh, I, it might be a little bit hard to understand paying a 21-year-old $5 million dollars uh, although the deal does kick in next year when he will be 22. Uh, I think that he definitely made excellent strides this year, and he actually wasn't even that bad the year before. Uh, in his rookie season, he had 21 points, as you said, and 52 games. Uh, that's still not even bad for a rookie in, in, in a season, playing probably fourth-line, third-line minutes. Now he's getting in some kick and strides. He's playing second-line, some top-line minutes, not a whole lot, but uh, definitely in between second and third-line this year, and I can see him making a jump to a permanent second-line player next year with some opportunities on that top line here and there uh, and possibly seeing some first power play time rather than second power play time. I do think that this player can be an immediate breakout player for them. I think that's going to be a great long-term deal. He's only 27 when this deal is finished. Um, I think that it's a really solid deal. I think it's going to either really, really hit and they're going to get him for extremely cheap or it's going to be a massive bust and they're going to have to live with that for the next several years what is that one two three four five six years because he's still in his elc actually seven years my bad seven years yeah and yeah. Uh, just sorry just to comment one last time on that he's a 14th overall pick so i mean it, it, it's definitely a gamble it's a guy that has proven himself and he got picked there for a reason um and if he can end up being a player who can live up to that 14th overall potential then five million dollars is nothing to pay for a player of that caliber yeah, Naiboni, I look at this guy as a leader, uh, a young leader, and he's going to be a key part of this team in the future. I think if you look at it this way, Nolan Patrick, was uh, he, he's out of Philly. He had a couple tough goes. Uh, injuries play a big role in that. We all know we've had this discussion with Nolan Patrick, and he's always a player that I will also compare to in our next segment about Kasperi Kotenami. You might be wondering why. I'll give it to you in just a bit when we get there, but you got Nolan Patrick out of there. Uh, he's one of the Farabee is one of the young guns on this team, and he's got the term now six years. What'd you say? He's going to be twenty seven. Uh, yeah, twenty seven when this deal is up. So he's going to have time to mature, and it's looking like the maturity is already coming to fruition. When you look at last season, the only thing I see worst case possible, which worst situation possible with this deal, is that he has an awful season in the this upcoming season. Uh, I think that'll be really tough to deal with for your Flyers fan and this management, but you're hoping because it's the last year of his ELC. So this deal would have nothing to do with next season or his production. But if he doesn't regroup after that season, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but I think when you're talking contracts and the term that he has on his deal and the money that you're paying this kid uh, after just one spectacular season, which he did earn every dollar he's making right now, but we don't really know what he has to play with. So uh, I don't know. This contract, like you mentioned, Iboni, I think you said it best. It can go either way. Uh, I think this is a wild card contract that you can either completely hit on. This guy could turn into a young star, or this one can really uh, – you're really biting the bullet with the money that you're sending Farabee's way for six more years, and it could be getting ugly real quick if you don't play your cards right. But uh, I think we'll just have to wait and see. I know this is an off-season show, and <laughs> I think this is the first time I've said it on the show today, but the wait-and-see uh, sort of – 
uh, metaphor here is back and you better believe it's back and ready to go with these contracts. And Farabee is just another victim of that one. But I don't want to spend too much time on the Flyers forward here, but we're going to switch gears to, I would say, the biggest news, the one that you've been all been waiting for. Uh, especially as uh, Canadian hockey fans as well. Montreal Canadiens, I wish we had Josh for this segment here, but uh, we'll just have to go with me and you, Iboni, and roll the dice. The Habs waited to the last moment in their decision to match the Canes' $6.1 million offer for Yemi issued mm-hmm. last Saturday. Mark Bergevin and the Habs announced they will not be offering Kasperi Kotkin. Oh, did I, did I fool you a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit. I thought, I, when I wrote that this morning, like, oh, I'm definitely going to fool someone if I say this. <laughs> But don't you worry, Iboni. I know what I'm talking about. A qualifying offer was turned down by the Montreal Canadiens, nor will they match the Canes' $6.1 million offer, making Kotniemi a Carolina Hurricane. Now, Montreal received compensation, mind you, a first round and a third round as compensation for the RFA. Iboni, I'm going to start off real quick. Was this the right move for the Habs and even the Canes? Now, this one, we were talking about it last week, and Iboni, I know this is a sour spot for you. They didn't offer Ned Najalkovich, mm-hmm. saying his name right in the last episode of the show here, <laughs> this money. They didn't Probably. offer him this money uh, that would have kept him in Carolina. What do you make of this? Uh, you're, you, you follow both these teams quite closely and more closely than I do. Uh, what do you make of it for both sides? First of all, I'm proud of you for pronouncing Nadelkovic right. Thank you. Um, I, I, think that's, <laughs> I think that um, it's, uh, it's tough. Because there's really no right answer. And I was talking before uh, with you. Mm-hmm. There's really no right answer. And I, I'm going to give my input after I explain why there's no right answer. And I think that the reason why there's no right answer is um, you're either, as a hab, um, you accept the offer and you take on a player who's making way too much money and he's probably going to play in the depth third, fourth line uh, for the entirety of the season. And keep his RFA. And you're over the cap. You keep your you keep the RFA rest, but you're over the cap. Now you gotta make something work. Uh, in an already struggling team with their depth and their injury problems, and now they gotta make something work. Uh, or you let them go. You take the compensation, which is a good thing. But now you let a third overall pick go, and you just prove that you should have picked other people instead. Uh, and maybe this whole situation wouldn't have happened. And um, that being said, other people that they could have taken. Uh, since he's third overall, he could pick Brady Kachuk in the 2018 draft, Philip Zadina, Quinn Hughes, Adam Bokvist, Kratsov, Wallstrom, Dobson, uh, Farabee, which we actually just mentioned, Ty Smith, uh, just name a few. And then one last one, I'm just going to say Rasmus Kupari as well. Uh, I think that um, definitely some names that have proven themselves a little bit and proven to be more valuable than a Jesper Kotkin. Uh, so I think that... Uh, them declining this offer is them saying, hey, I made a mistake, probably should have picked one of those guys. Maybe the situation doesn't even happen in the first place. Um was mad after the playoffs and he wanted to make a statement. He made a statement and his statement came true. And it's something that I think that he kind of wanted a little bit, but maybe he wanted to stay a hab. Um, however, I just getting to my point now, I think that um, that was the right call for the Montreal Canadiens. I think that taking that compensation and just using it wherever you can, recouping assets for a player that you lost and just kind of cutting your losses. Um, it's, it's a player who's making an enormous amount. And in order to keep them, you'd have to trade off assets, which 
uh, Mark Bergevin's not wanting to do because he, he wants long-term deals, not short-term players, and that one-year deal is just not not anything that he's looking forward to accepting. Yeah, and I mean, as a manager in the National Hockey League, uh, no matter who you are, I don't care if you're the best one in the world or uh, like a Lou Lamorello status or you've been really struggling a little bit, like Mark Bergevin kind of finds himself in right now, you're always going to, whenever you look back at a deal, uh, or what happens with a player. You just follow that little tree all the way down to when you picked him up and where he came from, the scouting that you put into it, uh, the lead-up to that draft, when you picked him, the emotions, all that stuff. When you look back at it, this one really hits the Montreal Canadiens hard. I mean, they really put a lot of time and effort in scouting Kotniemi, uh, developing him. He was splitting time with the Habs in the AHL. They were patient with him. They brought in guys to mentor him. So they put on a lot of work to develop this kid, and nothing came of it. It's a shame uh, that it couldn't work out for the Habs because they would have had a pretty big steal on their hands. But just going back to the drafts that we were talking about, those picks that they could have had, this one stinks so much. Quinn Hughes, man, he is my favorite player, one of my favorite players in the National Hockey League. I love the way he plays the game. Great defensive uh, asset for the Vancouver Canucks. I love his speed up the wing, and he really knows how to make chances and generate scoring chances. But... You could have had so many other players that prove themselves in the National Hockey League and even throw in Farabee, the guy who we're just talking about in the mix. So I think the draft, the drafting was, I think they were shooting themselves in the foot uh, before anything even started, before they even got to this point. Because I don't know if you remember this long ago. I, I believe it was the 2018 draft, so it's pretty fresh in our memories. But was Kotniemi the best player available at that time for the Montreal Canadiens, scouting-wise? It was believed to be, yes. It was believed to be, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi, and his potential was really high. Uh, they wanted a center, too, because really they didn't have a whole lot of centermen, so they went ahead and drafted that centerman. And the next centerman that was available was Barrett Hayden, who was taken then two picks later by the Arizona Coyotes. So they went with the best player available, and the best player available was Barry Kotkaniemi. And um, they, they needed a center as well. So the best center available, not the best player, yeah. my mistake. Um, so that's kind of the route that they went with and they probably should have went for maybe the best player available because back in 2018 uh they weren't really that competitive were they no they're just kind of a mediocre team yeah mediocre they weren't quite bottom feeders like they were a couple a couple seasons down the line they were kind of like sitting a little bit more near the bottom i think i don't know maybe i'm wrong no you're you're but (laughs) okay so they're kind of either bottom feeders towards mediocre so they wanted someone long-term uh, centerman, someone that fits their needs for the long term rather than the best player who they can trade off, which is what the Leafs or something would need because they're in a playoff contention and they want to win. So they're going to get the best player who has the best value so they can then flip him later on. And, I mean, this is this was the discussion we were having on the pre-show, I believe, uh, between the debate between addressing your team needs at the draft or taking the best player available. Now, the Montreal Canadiens, Mark Bergevin, tried to kill two birds with one stone, taking – the best centerman available. They needed a centerman. They had, their center depth was really poor, and they wanted a guy who could sort of lead their center depth uh, forward in the upcoming years. Kotniemi was that guy, or so we thought at that time. So Mark Bergevin thought, but I don't know, man. Like, what do you what do you think? Because I'll even throw it. We mentioned this on the pre-show as well. The Maple Leafs, uh, they needed defense in 2015 when they drafted Mitch Marner. Was it 2015 when they drafted Marner? 2016. Ooh, no, 2016 um, was 20, 2015, because I remember looking, I just looked it up, and I looked at 2015 trying to look for another player that I'll mention later, and I think I saw Marner. So it was 2015, yeah. I believe. So 2015, Leafs draft Marner, but they were rumored to take in on Hannafin, who was one of the best defenders at that time. So it just goes to show which way these things can go and how far they can swing. If the Leafs drafted uh, Noah Hannafin, 
we wouldn't be in the playoffs. They would be in oh, a horror show with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the way they were going. Dubas, you mentioned on the pre-show as well, Iboni, he would never do that. That no. was not something on his agenda. Marner was the best player available and a guy you couldn't pass up on. And Colton Yemi, I don't think he followed in that same role. But again, another victim of addressing that your team needs over the best player available. And this one bit the Montreal Canadiens in the butt. So, I mean, I don't really like the deal too much. I like the way – I think it's perfect for Carolina. You mentioned this as well, Iboni. Uh, I think oh. it's a one-year deal. What were you, yeah. you going to say? Just just to mention, I, I, I did see it earlier. I don't know if you were going to bring it up. But Jake Gardner was placed on LTIR. Today? So there, there's – yeah, today. So, there's so the... how much is he making? Hold on, I have I have cap friendly open, I believe. Oh no, I don't. Okay, hold on, give me one second. Jake Gardner. Because I believe Jake Gardner's making like five million dollars, right? Because that's almost yeah. the entire contract, right? Yeah, you're, you're, he's making you're... four 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 million dollars. So basically, he's making two million. So basically, you got Coton Yemi for two point yeah. one one year. Basically, right? Yeah. However, for however long Gardner's on the LTIR, and Gardner, yeah. being honest, probably wasn't gonna play. He probably wasn't going to play. He was a third-pairing option and actually healthy scratch from a lot of the season last year. Yeah, his his career sort of uh, took a nosedive yeah. after Toronto. Yeah, it's Game been seven. a tough <laughs> go for – oh, yeah. Game seven. Uh, remember when he got booed on home ice in the Toronto? Deserved it. it was a he loss to the it. avalanche. Everyone yeah. said it was harsh. He deserved it. No, no. He deserved every second of it. I was never a fan of Jake Garner. He broke my heart way too many times to count. But uh, I don't want to get into the Jake Garner conversation because that's a <laughs> that's a pretty – that's a show in itself. That's but a dark, dark that, talk. That's that's when you're reaching for content, man. And I don't <laughs> think we're in that situation right now. But Koten Yemi, the Habs – I'm glad that you mentioned it now with the, him being placed on LTR. I think that just solidifies my point a little more that – the Colton Yemi situation for the Canes is perfect. And maybe this was part of their plan. They knew that Jake Garner was going to hit the LTIR, so they made that offer sheet, put the pressure on the Habs. We were talking about that sort of pressure getting placed on the Montreal Canadiens in last week's show. But I think if you're the Montreal Canadiens, you're just shaking your head and saying, man, what could have been with Colton Yemi, it didn't come out to fruition, and now we're sort of paying the price. We got a first and a third. And speaking of that first, and I mean, oh, I wanted to go into a nice segue, Iboni, but I have to stop myself mm-hmm. and ask, do you want anything else to add on this Cotton Yemi situation before I turn over to uh, what what they added with that those assets that they retained? No, but I, I damn well want to add on to what the hell they did with that with those assets. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll get into it right now. So uh, awesome. th- thank you for incorporating with that segment, uh, that segue. <laughs> Beautiful, Iboni. Me and you are going right back to back, to back man. But uh, – yeah, those assets. One of them we mentioned was the first round pick uh, coming to Carolina from Carolina to Montreal, and that first round pick is now maybe quite possibly heading to Arizona. Now Arizona has been recouping picks left, right, and center this offseason, and this one is just another victim. Montreal Canadiens just another victim of the pick monster that is the Arizona Coyotes. Now the Habs quickly gathered some much needed center depth following the departure of Kotniemi. Landing Christian Dvorak now heading the Coyotes' way, like I mentioned, is the Habs' second-round pick in 2024. So obviously not part of that Kotniemi deal and the assets they recouped. And now here the better 2022 first-round pick between the Habs and the Hurricanes. The latter was part of the Kotniemi's contract compensation. Now if either or both of those picks are in the top 10 of the draft next summer, the Coyotes will receive the worst of the two. So say uh, Carolina's Mm. pick that they just traded off was... This obviously these, are, these numbers are not accurate at all, but they say it's a sixth overall pick, and uh, the, the Habs have the eighth overall pick uh, for their respective pick. 
the Hab, uh, the Coyotes will receive that eighth overall pick, and the Habs will be left with that sixth overall pick. Uh, you understand here what I'm saying, Ivan? Yeah, yeah, I make yeah. it pretty simple. I didn't so, know yeah. that they had that clause in it, though. Yeah, so I, I yeah, actually wow. I, I was looking at the score today, reading the article on Christian Dvorak in this deal, and I saw it uh, in there. I was like, wow, that's actually pretty interesting. I didn't think mm-hmm. the Coyotes, I mean, kind of unsmart on the Coyotes' part, but I think that's yeah. probably the best mm-hmm. thing you could have gotten in that situation. But uh, Coyotes will receive the worst of the two. Dvorak was selected 58th overall by Arizona in 2014. He also owned the red dot for the Coyotes last season, averaging 52.1% of his draws won. And uh, the twenty the twenty five year old also put up seventeen goals and fourteen assists last season, and averaged a career high in ice time, showing up for all fifty six of the Coyotes contest. So he was quite possibly the Iron Man of their team uh, last season. So the Habs are getting a solid depth center, capable of possibly. I wouldn't say going this far. I was pretty hesitant when writing about it in the in the outline here, possibly filling Philip Deneau's shoes. Maybe it's it's a big if. That's kind of a hot take there, but. He, he, but was losing Kotniemi, this is the big question here, Iboni, was losing Kotniemi for Dvorak worthwhile? Now, I think we were talking about on the pre-show as well, you're basically giving up, uh, what is it, a first? Am I, am I, you, you say you know much better than me. I don't yeah. want to confuse myself. You go on then. A first in Kotniemi for Dvorak. for Dvorak and a second, yeah. right? No, Kotniemi and a second for Dvorak and a first. That's what it is. Yeah. Correct so what me? Are you, yeah, what are your, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you're right on there. But what are your thoughts on the deal? Uh, was Devorah for Kotniemi fair? Uh, is it an easy replacement? That are the, the Habs get better is what I'm trying to say with this deal. Um, short term, yes. Long term, hell no. I think that um, they did lose a little bit on this deal. Uh, third overall pick, he's definitely got the potential. However, he was never going to succumb to anything on Montreal. He he does not have the talent surrounding him. Not nearly as good players on Carolina as there is on, uh, sorry, on the Habs as there is on Carolina, uh, and I think that he's going to really blossom with the Canes. Another Sam Bennett situation, that, I bony. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's what I was getting into. The, the Sam Bennett is what I'm trying to reach into here. Uh, a fourth overall pick, so not quite a third, almost identical situations here. Uh, they get dished off to a new team. Uh, the circumstances don't really matter, but they got their stock game team. Uh, not really the greatest on their old teams, as Sam uh, Sam Bennett uh, only had 12 points in 38 games with the Flames in the season that he got traded. Then, as soon as he got back to the Florida Panthers, playing with top talent between the second line and the first line, he had 15 points in 10 games. Uh, incorporated on the power play a lot. This guy was insane. He was putting up numbers wherever possible. And I think this could be the exact situation that the Esperi Kakanyemi could be in right now. Uh, bouncing between the second, third, maybe even first line. Uh, kind of bouncing up and down between there. Playing on the first power play. Second power play. Let's see how that goes. He can play penalty kill as well. He's very, very versatile. I think that he's going to be huge for the Canes. And um, the Habs, they're, they're getting Dvorak. And Dvorak is definitely nothing to scoff at. He's, he's a guy who can get up some points. He's a guy who can play on the power play. I don't know if I trust him on the penalty kill. I don't know if he played penalty kill last year. Um, but he definitely played power play. He played power play two for the Arizona Coyotes. So we're going to see how he does with that. Maybe he gets a little bit of a shot at the penalty kill. Um, but I think that um, they they have their penalty killers, and they're going to kind of stick with those guys. But I, I think that if you're paying um, Christian Dvorak, who I think is – a second slash third line center. He's kind of in the in between there, a little bit on the fence. 
it's paying them four point four five million for the next four years. Uh, you, you can't win with Dvorak as your second line center, and I don't think that that's a good, an ideal long term centerman for your second line. I think that uh, they're going to need a replacement for him, and if they end up getting a replacement for him, Dvorak's going to have to get bumped down to the third line, and having a guy making that much money on that line, it's just not ideal. Like, it, it seems appropriate to then use assets that you just gained to go and get something to fill a need. But if the need is something that is a player that is making quite a bit of money who isn't um, quite... I, 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 it's hard to word this because he, he's a good player, but he, I don't think he's quite worth a second-line role. Um, and especially with the players that he's going to be surrounded by on the second line. Um, it, it's some decent players in the second line, don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to get at, this is very complicated and complex in its own, very, its own, its own way. But I, I, I think that they, they could have had better options and using that first-round pick uh, could have been used in many other ways, and you could have gotten players better than Dvorak, um, a player who is a solidified sec- second-line centerman. Although they, d- I definitely love his face-off stats. That's something that I, I was definitely impressed by. It's 52%, especially with Arizona. Uh, I think that that's uh, pretty huge. And he was definitely a key factor for them, uh, even being where they were last year, which is not a great spot, but they would have been definitely way worse if, uh, Dvorak was not on that team last year. Yeah, and it was a quick trade from Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they they regrouped their assets from the Carolina Hurricanes, and like I, I think a lot of people did expect this, and Dvorak had some talks with the Montreal Canadiens leading up uh, to that decline, declination of the offer sheet, uh, the declining of the offer sheet, that is. And uh, this is what you're looking at. You have a first-round pick now in the compensation with the Hurricanes. You have a first and, what was it, a first and a third. Uh, you have a first-round pick. That is, you have high leverage over many teams in the National Hockey League. That first-round pick, uh, with the way that Montreal Canadiens would possibly finish realistically in this upcoming division, a playoff spot, a playoff spot is it's, it's yeah. slim. It's it's possible, obviously, anything is possible in that Atlantic, that, but it, it's slim. That pick and, is going to be top fifteen. Yeah, so that pick they're, is, they're out of the playoffs. Yeah, that pick is a top fifteen pick. You have lots of negotiation tactics on your side that you can use this one to get. I wouldn't say any player, obviously, but uh, I think a little bit of a better player with a better price tag to him than Christian Dvorak. No, don't get me wrong. We weren't dissing Christian Dvorak here. I think you would say this as well. Mm-hmm. well this is yeah. nothing against Christian Dvorak. He's a terrific player, and for him to put up that face-off percentage, percentage like you mentioned, as well as those points, and playing every single game healthy speaks volumes from an Arizona team that was really crummy last season as well. So... Nothing against Christian Dvorak, but it, like you mentioned, I believe I have to side with you on this one. If he is your second line uh, centerman, there is lots of problems here. You could have gotten, I think, a lot better depth centerman. Uh, I think that's what the the Montreal Canadiens were looking for at the end of the day, depth centerman. I think you gotten a lot better, maybe even a couple depth centermans with those picks that you recruit from the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think Christian Dvorak, great player, has the possibility to turn into a decent player in an elevated role and play alongside many other key pieces in the Montreal Canadiens organization. But I don't know. I think with this, when you mix in the dollars and cents here and what the Carol, what the Montreal Canadiens could have gotten with that pick, it's it's tough to say that this was an absolute win. And sort of a series of losses for the uh, Montreal Canadiens over the past couple of days. You lose Kotanyemi, you get the assets back, and some people would say, including ourselves here, that you maybe didn't spend those assets in the right areas. Maybe in the position. 
but maybe not the right guy. But we'll have to wait and see. I know this is a commonality on the show, but I think Dvorak, we're going to see it very quickly with this group, uh, what Dvorak can do. He's going to be slotted, I can guarantee you, on a second line as quickly as possible with this team. You could even see it by the puck drop preseason starts. Uh, Dvorak's playing alongside some talented players and seeing what he can do. And uh, I, 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 not to mention here, I think we're a little bit forgetting. We mentioned it with the Blues. Uh, Mike Hoffman's also a Montreal Canadian. So uh, maybe we'll see something within these two players as well. Maybe they're going to play alongside each other. You never know. Maybe Dvorak finds some success in Quebec. We, we don't really know. But I, I think we can agree here, me and you, Iboni. We might be causing some controversy on the other side of the coin here, but I think he could have gotten a little bit better for that first-round pick. Uh, from the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah. So I think we're going to shut the door here on Christian Dvorak just before saying, listen, guys, if your day is bad and it can't get any worse, just remember, you can't be any worse than Christian Dvorak right now. Buying a house two <laughs> days ago yeah. and moving to Montreal. And, man, I I, I, am, I mean, obviously, I've never had to purchase a house in my life nor lay that much money on a sort of asset or product. But, man, you got to feel for Christian Dvorak. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough go. It's a tough go. Tough time for Christian Dvorak. Uh, my, all my wishes for you, my friend, finding a new homeowner, which I don't think you'll have a problem with the, with the, with the house that you've, you're moving in with now. But, hey, you got the money on you. You have it to spend. Now you got to go out and find a house in Quebec. And, yeah, you'll, I think you'll be good in Quebec uh, house shopping. But let's see how you do on the hockey standpoint first. Maybe, just maybe, in the next four years of your contract, you make a little bit of more money and buy an even better house in Montreal. But I think... Uh, we're getting a little bit of a head ourselves here. And our final topic of the show and our final topic of the Least Line podcast is a good one. The Olympics. This is a big topic that I've been waiting years to talk about. It's never really something we speak about because the NHL and the Olympic Committee is always in a stalemate between sending players overseas and uh, what this can bring both the league and to hockey in general. And finally, we have... We have it. I, I mean, the, for the first time since 2014, Sochi, the NHL is sending its players overseas to compete in the Olympics and play for their respective countries. Now we saw, and man, this is something I really regret as a hockey fan. I didn't pay much attention to the World Cup of Hockey that took place in Toronto. I believe it was 2016 that this event took place. Man, I really regret not seeing it or not paying too much attention to it because it was the last Olympic play that we saw with NHL players. Actually, I wouldn't say Olympic play, uh, national play. Uh, and that Team North America, man, doesn't get any much better than that. That was an all-star team in the making. And little did we know, but that team, if it was put on the ice today, oh, they would dominate left, right, and center. We're going to see many of those players representing the respective countries in the upcoming Olympics, but games are expected. I'm going to lay it down for you all right now. Games are expected to take place within a tight bubble uh, with sightseeing and traveling of athletes being off limits. Uh, vaccination or full immunization to the virus is required in order for athletes to participate in the Olympics. And a little side note from this, uh, vaccination is also, it's an honorable mention for our news of the week for the National Hockey League. Vaccination will be, I wouldn't say required for the National Hockey League to compete, but there will be some uh, people will be treated differently, I guess you could say, if they're vaccinated or unvaccinated across the National Hockey League. Athletes will be treated a lot more differently than their vaccinated counterparts. So uh, that is also an interesting storyline to look for in the upcoming season. But getting back to the Olympics here, a long list of particip participating players must be submitted by October 15th for each country. Then daily COVID testing, mask wearing, physical distancing, and temp checks will be merged into the athletes' daily requirements to participate in the 2022 
Olympics. Now, players have the right to decline their invitation to the Winter Games. Now, it's not like uh, the World Juniors, where if you decline to play, you're going to face a little bit of backlash from your home country, especially when you're looking overseas, as well as uh, your your club in that respect. But uh, you have the right to decline that invitation, and those who participate will have their contracts fully covered if they get injured. Now, the league has the ability. This is an important thing to look at here. The league has the ability to withdraw their offer from the tournament if COVID conditions worsen in the NHL or if the National Hockey League games canceled during the regular season can't get made up during the regular season uh, or before the playoffs start. So this is what I was looking at it when writing this and reading about that as well. Say something like this happens during the season, something like the Vancouver Canucks happened last season, for example. And God forbid, we don't want to see this in the sports and especially with how far we've come with, in regards to COVID and starting up sports. We don't want to see this again. I think the Vancouver Canucks and their staff would be the first to attest to that. Uh, I'm just saying if this something like that were to happen, I think that would be a legit reason for the National Hockey League to withdraw their offer and their players from going to the Olympics. But I think that's all they really mentioned upon their withdrawal. And Bill Daly and Gary Bettman, you got to give credit to them. I know we all rip on Gary Bettman for what he's been doing, and of course Bill Daly as well. But they've been at the well for quite a while with this Olympic committee and trying to get their players overseas. It's been a long time coming for these two parties, and they finally have reached an agreement. Now, what are your thoughts on the deal, Iboni? What are your way-too-early predictions? I was waiting to ask you this question uh, from the get-go when I wrote it this morning. What are your way-too-early predictions for the historic tournament that opens February 9th? And just to remind you, I know maybe you haven't been looking too much in the Olympics here, but China, Canada, the Olympic athletes of Russia, I guess that you could say that is the Russian Olympic team, mm -hmm. uh, Finland, Sweden, the Czech Republic, the U.S., Germany, Switzerland, Slovakia, Latvia, and Denmark, that is a mouthful, have all qualified to participate in the upcoming Olympics. So what are your way-too-early uh, sort of predictions for this historic tournament that we haven't seen i guess you could say since we were in fifth grade 2014 sochi was the last olympics wow. i remember with nhl players and man it was a great one i think canada took gold they uh, did. in that they one did. i think gold was canada i want to say russia was silver and finland was bronze could be the other way around i'm not I think sure finland, I was bronze, so. finland was bronze okay i think so. so whichever way you have it these three teams are always the top of their group and always at the top stage in international play, both in the World Juniors and usually the Olympic play. And Iboni, I turn this one over to you. What do you see coming from these guys' camps? And who do you have finishing atop the rests in 2022? Go ahead. Call me bias. I, I think Canada's going to take it. Um, they, they have such a good roster. You can't not consider them every single year to be the winners. Can I, can I, I mean, obviously... Can I interrupt you for just one second? Yeah, go right ahead. I, I just read this funny thing the other day. You've probably seen it as well. It was about McDavid. And uh, as you all know, he had a terrific, uh, I guess I wouldn't say season, but terrific time when he played for Team Canada and the IHF when he took home gold. Oh, yeah. uh, he was outstanding in that tournament. But he said, because uh, that was the last time he played for Team Canada, he said, in uh, I, I read it on Puck Empire. That's probably our, both mine and yours, most reliable oh, yeah. source for yep. hockey news over this past season. They've contributed much to our content on this show. i got to give credit, credit where credit is due. But he said to reporters that, yeah, he's just hoping I make the Team Canada for the Olympics. Uh, it would be great to make the team and great to represent my country. Now, this is not quote for quote. Don't quote me on this at all. But it was along the lines of, hey, I got to make the team first. And now, I mean, yeah, fine. I, re I respect the, the, the grind. <laughs> but if you're Connor McDavid and you're putting up 100 points almost every year and in a short year to boot, you 
spot's pretty darn secured, if you ask me. <laughs> if uh, if Mitch Marner's spot is secured on that team, uh, with all his playoff and big stage uh, lackluster performances, I think you're just right there, uh, Mr. McDavid. But I'm only sorry to interrupt. I don't. Yeah, really no, do that, I like that. I thought I like it was that. a pretty funny thing to add. It to was. Me, but, but you take it away, man. Yeah, and like I'm saying, I think it, I, I would not be a Canadian if I did not consider them to even be in the conversation. They win often enough that you think that they're going to win every year. And, I mean, obviously they have hard competitions. They have a lot of um, tight games and some backlash and back-and-forth games, like a lot back-and-forth into the U.S. But I I, I really think that uh, they, they can pull ahead and they can, they can really make some damage and win that gold. I'd like it to be against the U.S. just to put that little extra spice in it because it's been so long. I think that uh, everyone would want to see that. Every Canadian just wants to see us destroy uh, the USA in the gold medal game. But I think something something that can really be surprising, I think Latvia. Latvia can really shock me. I'm not saying that they're going to win. I'm not <laughs> saying they're, they're even going to make quarterfinals. I'm saying that like they can shock some people. I think they're going to have at least don't, one don't upset they, Don't game. they have a key a key player? Like, I, I know there's one really good player from They have Corpus Salo, no? That's what I'm Corpus Salo. There we go. They have Corpus They have um, – oh, there's another – Good they have they have a little they have a handful of decent names yeah no, nothing nothing to carry them over the finish line yeah these, but I mean Corpus, these big juggernauts but they could, is nothing they to could, stop that yeah they could put up a bit of a fight for sure yeah um I think China is gonna get trampled yeah, <laughs> and they're only in it they're well, only they're, in it and you know you know that they're only in it because of the home yep uh, thing um yeah but they what is it they ranked twenty third in their qualifications. When the top, how many teams was it? Top 10? No, top 12. I don't know how much it was. But the top, like, let's say like 15. I don't know exactly the number. Made it. China's 23rd in their rankings, but since they're the home country, they get to make it. So they even stated in a tweet, I don't know if you've heard this, um, if we face Canada or U.S., it's probably going to be 100 nothing. Oh, <laughs> they said that yeah. themselves? They said that themselves. Oh, that's a tough blow for Chinese hockey, man. <laughs> I know yeah, they're trying to great. grow the sport out that way, but that's not really something you <laughs> want to see coming from the PR. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's something funny and something I really want to watch. Extremely high-scoring game. Um, yeah, a couple other teams. There's a couple of players that are just kind of hiding in other areas, like um, uh, Zuccarello playing for Norway. I don't know if Norway qualified. I'm not too sure. Uh, nope, they, were not, they were not part of the qualification. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about the Olympics here, but I know that there are some key players and key teams, and they can shock some people. And I think Latvia is definitely one of them. They can definitely pull some upsets going with Corpus Allo in there. As we've seen, uh, he can make sixty-three saves in a game and win. Uh, very tragic. Very very tragic. But <laughs> I, I'd definitely like to see him steal a game away from a team like Finland or uh, Sweden or a, t- a team like that. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off against. A team like the U.S. or even Canada, but uh, a, me- a mediocre to good team like uh, Sweden or Finland, I think that's definitely in their realm to steal a game there from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were on the discussion of upsets here, now, I don't know if you know this about me, Iboni, I'm a huge college football guy. Uh, I-, I actually, last yesterday was opening uh, opening week for college football. And I really, like, I had to look back at myself and say, Mario, what are you doing, man? Like, I was shaking my head at myself. I watched, uh, kid you not, 
five screens, 14 games from 12 uh-huh. o'clock in the afternoon to 11.30 at night. It was bad, man. Oh, my it God. Was tough. I, I love it. I love it, man. Like, it's it's engaging. You're always tuning in to see that upset. And uh, we saw a couple yesterday. No, I'm not going to say it because – not many viewers here mm. understand college football. I'm sure you wouldn't be too big in it, but no. I just want you to know upsets are a big part in college football, and to see it in hockey would be awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. NHL-wise, I think the only upsets we see is maybe in the playoffs when other teams yeah. are pushing the the weaker teams to the brink and advancing. We never see it uh, in the regular season, of course, but nationally, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be so fun to cover, too. I don't know the time change down there, so I really want to try covering it, maybe waking up at like 5 a.m., 3 a.m., build a night to watch a game and maybe doing like a live coverage of it. I don't know. We obviously have time to sort that out, but it's going to be interesting. Uh, Olympic play always is. I don't remember too much of it because we were really young when uh, oh, yeah. when we when, we, when it was in Sochi, but I remember it was terrific. I remember Lafayette was also not even that bad that no. year in 2014. So they definitely – yeah, definitely. Corpusello is going to have his work cut out for him, but I think he can manage. I think he can manage. But uh, I also want to give one last shout out here while we're on the stage of national uh, national uh, sports and all that. I, I don't know if you tuned into this. I'm sure you've obviously heard of it. Team Canada taking gold for the women's team against the United States in an overtime victory. I believe it was a I want to say two to one victory. Oh no, uh, three to two victory over the United States. A gold oh, yeah. medal game. Yeah. It was a, it was a I, I enjoyed it, man. Like I never. Really, one, two, and it's nothing against uh, nothing against women or anything like that. I never got into uh, women's sports, and I think my my perception really took a big change. I thought it was really good. Uh, the fact that they played three on three, and the NHL players don't even do that for their long stead overtimes is pretty remarkable to say the least. Uh, it was a terrific goal that they scored. Uh, Poulin was man, she 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 nipped that one. On uh, on I, I can't I don't know the U.S.'s goaltender I didn't follow the entire thing but I watched the gold medal game and I was blown away by the talent. It's if you're if you're a little bit biased and you love the the male sport, all I'm gonna say is give it a try. It's it's definitely worth your while. And if you don't like it, just don't look at it ever again. But I think it's worth your watching, your viewership, and I think it's just great for their sport. I know that they they've had a tough go with viewership sponsors. Their, their league has folded a couple times in the last couple of years. Uh, I think they're taking steps in the right direction, partnering with the NHL, getting even more viewership. And I think that national game, head-to-head, Canada, U.S., doesn't get much better than that, even on the men's and women's side. I think it was terrific for the sport, and I just had to, I just had to throw it out there just to bring some a little bit more promotion to the sport. And I know on, off our platform here, we're not going to get too much promotion to women's hockey, but I think it's definitely worth a shot. To, to look at. I know I'll be tuning in for a couple games uh, in the upcoming season. I know that Toronto, I believe it's Toronto 6 is their women's team here. I think there'll be, I, I look a little into it. I'm going to try to get into it a little bit this year, but as we conclude episode 29 of the Least Line Podcast with both women's hockey and national hockey, the Olympics in general, that is the final segment of season one of the Least Line Podcast, and what a ride it has been. We have reached the final mark i bony man i just want to really thank you i know i mentioned it the off the top of the show here but again it wouldn't be possible especially without you you going back and forth with josh with aiden and of course over this past couple of weeks with me so i appreciate you allowing the show to go on the show must go on as we all know is the saying here at the least line podcast and we never missed a week and uh i have to credit myself a little bit pat myself on the back here I worked really hard not to miss a week. There's been a lot of things getting in the way with the podcast. I try to make as much time as possible. 
And I'd like to say that I did a big, a really good job of doing that. So uh, I, I got to pump my own tires a little bit here, both with the show and just personally as well. So Iboni, I thank you. The fans, I thank you a lot. Uh, so much thanks to give around. But that concludes season one of the Least Line Podcast. Mm-hmm. Iboni, do you have anything else to say before we I sign do. off? For I do. Take it away. I do. Friend. I just looked it up. Uh, I want to give myself a face palm and I want to um, assess what I said. It's Merzlikens, not Corpus Salo. Merzlikens is Finnish. Corpus Salo is Latvian. Oh yeah, that's like that's like um um Jay and Dan. You blew it. I <laughs> you blew, blew it, it man. <laughs> I oh. did blow it. But yeah, that is uh, that would have been some worthwhile. Ride. Yeah, it was a fun ride. Yeah, that would have been some worthwhile communication. Cool. See, we need a we need a guy, Iboni, when we come back. Yeah, in a couple of months, we need a dude just designated to give in a stack <laughs> and say, "Listen, man, you messed up." Uh, we're, we're gonna have like both a category, some board, or something saying, "Yeah, this is how many times you messed up." Got to get the yeah. board going, and we got to make a punishment because it's getting a little bit ridiculous win. sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, we gotta. Oh, that's what I forgot. Man. You're tonight's biggest loser. Yeah, we gotta do. Uh, we gotta do impractical joker style. <laughs> I love you gotta that. Be, uh, you gotta be Joe. You gotta be uh, nice. Sal. My 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 favorite. You know, I saw I them in person Sal. too. Did you actually? So before I knew anything, this is a story for the fans here. Before we end things off, before I knew anything about the Impractical Jokers, you know Nick Basile? Yeah. 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 So he, we were pretty good friends back in the day. Uh, so we, uh, he asked me, he needed someone to go to the show with, and he's like, "Mary, you want to come?" I'm like, "Well, I got nothing to do. Sure, I'll go down to Toronto for the night." And uh, coincidentally, let's mix in the Leafs in here as well. It was actually Hockey Hall <laughs> Fame Night, so I actually met, got to see Don Cherry. I uh, was down there. Uh, what's his name? Brian Burke was down there as well. I booed the heck out of Brian Burke. Burkey. I hate that guy. His his takes are way too hot for me. Not my style or not my cup of tea. But yeah, I went down there and watched uh, the Impractical Jokers live before I knew they had a show. Holy cow, Iboni. They were, I never laughed harder in my life. Like I thought I was going to like fall, collapse on the floor and we're going to have some, get some paramedics over to my seat. Man, they are hilarious. If viewers, listeners, if you haven't heard of the Impractical Jokers, definitely check them out. They're on Netflix. And they're always on the TV, too. You could definitely find them on any given night. Channel they're hilarious. 45 True TV. Yes, sir. True TV. True TV, baby. Let's uh, preach them as well. But, yeah, Practical Jokers didn't think we'd be ending the final episode off with uh, Joe, Q, Sal, and Murph. But here we are. That is 2021 for you, baby. But, yeah, thank you guys all. I can't say this enough. I know I've been saying it a lot, but thank you guys all. You've made this podcast to what it is today and what it's going to be in the future. I bony. Thank you, man. It's been a slice. I bone uh, Aiden. I'm going to thank him in person when I see him the next couple of days. We're going to the same school, so that'll be quite fun. Josh, I'll thank, I'll thank you guys in the group chat a little bit after I publish the episode tonight. Uh, but yeah, Wild Ride, week 29, episode 29 comes to a close again. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And from both myself and Michael Iaboni, have a great rest of your evening. Cheers, everyone.